This is Paul Levy, and you're listening to Veritas. And welcome back to Veritas. This is Mel Fabregas. And once again, I'm so glad, so glad to have Max Egan back with us here because we can talk about so many topics. And before the break, I said that so many people say that we have to leave a better world for our children. And to that, I say we have to leave better humans for our world. But the question is, we know there's a lot of problems in the world, but people just do not want to stand up get off their seats and do something about it. I don't think that I don't think that it's that they're lazy. Uh, Max, I think that they just don't believe that they can affect the change that's necessary. It's true. They don't. I mean, a lot of them are scared and a lot of them just don't understand the power that they have. They think they're little people. They don't understand the world is just made of people and that all people have equal potential. Everybody. We have an incredible amount of potential. And you, you don't have to stand up and attack the system. All you have to do is, is, is speak your truth, stand in your truth, and be prepared to speak it. And ask questions. Ask questions in the right way. I mean, if you, if you go up against some of these psychopaths and you simply ask them the right questions in a public enough manner, they're, they're going to back down because you, you're exposing them for what they are. People just have to be prepared to stand up. Now, I believe one of the, the, the biggest things we need to do is break down the barriers in our community. I've been saying this to people for seven years. You've got to get to know your neighbors. You've got to get to know people around you because you need the support of these people. And what prevent us, prevents us from doing so is because we, we are, are scared of people. We're scared of ourselves. We're, we're, we're judging people by um, artificial parameters that are given to us by other people. And we don't understand ourselves. We don't understand the reality of ourselves. We don't understand the perfection of ourselves. That's something that I've been incorporating into all of my talks, this little little rave about how, how perfect you are because – you, you literally, your body is a computer. It's a biological computer, and, and your DNA harvests a frequency, which is you. That's your consciousness. It, it's it's uh, mapped to your DNA, and it's harvested from the field around you. It's an energetic universe. Your consciousness is not local to your body. It exists in the field. It's just one frequency of consciousness that is downloaded into that vessel. And no one can do that better than you. No one can experience the world from the perspective of Mel Fabricus except you. No one can be better at that than you. You are perfect at being Mel Fabricus, and being Mel Fabricus is what you came here to be, obviously, because that's who you are. So why would you consider yourself to be anything but perfect? And when you can see that in yourself, and you can see the perfection of your own perspective and how needed and valuable it is, then you can see that in everybody else, and suddenly all the barriers break down between you and people. All the judgment falls away, and then you can suddenly respect these people because you suddenly know the perfection of yourself and you can truly respect yourself. And if you don't respect other people, it's because you don't know this about yourself and you don't respect yourself because if you did, respect for others would come by default. And that is an important understanding for people to have because when you have that, it changes the way you view the world and it changes the way you interact with people. And that simple knowledge can change the world because suddenly all the barriers break down. Suddenly you've got a united community that respects each other. And suddenly we can see that humanity has infinite potential to go any direction that we want. The only thing that limits us is what we believe we can and cannot do. And these are parameters that are instilled into us by government, by an education system, by, by people who, who are not us. These are parameters that have been still instilled into us that are not our own. We've never really looked at ourselves from a true perspective and from a valuable perspective and from our own perspective. We've looked at ourselves from other people's perspectives and parameters that have been provided for us. 
And so we've judged ourselves according to social or economic or, or you know, uh, appearance, you know, all sorts of things. We judge ourselves by all these parameters that are not our own. They're all fiction. We don't ever see our own perfection. To me, that's the key to the whole thing, Mel. When you can do that and you can see the perfection of yourself, suddenly the world changes because you change the way you interact with the world. And if everybody did that, the world would have to change with us. And if you're prepared to stand in your strength and stand in your power and be eloquent and ask the right questions, then these people have nowhere to go. They just expose themselves. The more polite and the more eloquent and the more truthful you are, the more they expose themselves. And that's what we need, more of that, you know. And that's a very good point because these are all, in my opinion, things are dire for many people around the world. These are confrontational points, talking points. So confrontational talking points invariably sometimes will cause confrontation with those people who don't want to listen to the truth because you're you're hurting their ego. You know, for example, I'm a recovering Catholic, for example, all my years in Catholic school and so on. When anybody would tell me something different, it was hard for me to, to swallow because I've been programmed to say, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist or you're just, you know, uh, you're with the devil and so on. But sometimes you have an epiphany, and to me it was 9-11. After 9-11, I believed the whole story, hook, line, line, and sinker, until I started doing my own research. And that's when I woke up. So in a way, I have to thank them for having perpetrated that, because if he hadn't been for that situation, I would probably still be, you know, watching Fox News. And I used to work in the belly of the beast in the corporate world to the point that I almost bought a McDonald's about 15, 20 years ago. And now, look, McDonald's, it's going down. Why? Because people are are waking up to, to what it is, the poisons that they eat. It's not even real food. So sometimes it takes that epiphany for you to wake up. I never, I've never asked you, did you have that in your past? Look, I had a, a little epiphany when I was four, actually. Um, that, that's when I woke up, when I, when I was oh, out wow. in the forest with my parents and I asked them why we couldn't come and live in the forest. And they said, because we didn't own the land. And I said, what do you mean own the land? And they said, well, well you've got to own the land to live there. And I said, who owns the land? They said, the government. And I said, how did they get it? And mum said, Law, look, you'll understand when you get older. And I'm going, no, I don't think I'm ever going to understand this. And I went back to my yard and I was walking around the yard with my teddy bear. I'm going, teddy, the world's all messed up. These people think they can own land. I've been born onto the wrong planet. And uh, that was my epiphany then when I was four. I, I just thought this is something's terribly, terribly wrong with the world. Wow. Because Four. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of just – I didn't understand anything. I didn't get along with my peers or anything. And uh, then, then when I heard uh, a Frank Zappa album when I was about 10, he explained to me – it was an album called We're Only In It For The Money. And I thought, ah, it's not just me. <laughs> There's other people who think this way as well. And then I became a musician and lived on the outside of society for my whole life. And I, I managed to find a way through it. But uh, And I was an activist in as much as I was a researcher because I wanted to know why the world was so messed up. But I wasn't really involved in trying to fix it. And uh, not until 9-11 happened. Like so many people, when that happened, I thought, hang on, this is really serious. And all of this information I've been gathering all my life is actually very, very important. And I, I need to put, be putting more focus on this than on, on music. So... I gave up the bands and uh, and started becoming a an activist instead. Frank Zappa, such a poet he was, but and I'm thinking of uh, Pink Floyd. Not to become you know talking about music, but I think of Pink Floyd, The Wall, when it came out in 1979. I didn't get it. I didn't really get it. 
but every year that went by, I get it more and more and more. And I listen to that album now, and it's almost like uh, what's happening today. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant album. One of the most profound social statements ever put out. Another album uh, by Roger Waters called Amused to sure. Death. If you oh, haven't yeah. heard that, album, oh, yes. that album, when I heard that, I thought there's no way this guy's going to put out another album because this is all that ever needed to be said. It's all on that album. Incredible social statements. I have so much respect for Roger Waters. He is a, a, a man with an incredible mind and a, a, an enormous heart. And uh, he's, he's been a huge influence on my life, and uh, I, I love what he's done. Those sorts of uh, milestones through music really help people wake up. You know, I mean, music is a big part of the problem. The music industry is a huge part of the problem. That's one of the reasons I left it, when I realized what I was swimming in, how I was distracting the youth and distracting the minds of people with irrelevant stuff while the world was being turned into a prison around them, which is a lot of what the music industry is designed to do. But then there's gems of gold in there as well. People like Roger Waters, people like Frank Zappa, who just saw things the way they were and really tried to uh, alert the world. And it's a good thing that they did. And it was it was hugely um, grounding for me, finding music like that, because I didn't feel alone anymore. I found it hugely empowering to know that there were uh, brilliant minds out there who actually thought the same way I did. I didn't uh, think so badly about myself from that point, because I, I consider myself a misfit for most of my life. I couldn't understand why I didn't fit in, why I couldn't do the things other people did, why everything was so important to me. People used to say, oh, you're a rebel without a cause. You take everything too seriously. And I used to say, no, the, the world needs your attention. You know, when I was in school, I was telling uh, my, my friends at school what the world was going to be like. And then I met one of my school friends uh, about four or five years ago. I hadn't seen her for 30 years and uh, she came up to me and said, wow, everything you told us at school about what the world was going to be like in 30 years, it's now like it. How did you know? You know? And um, I just said, well, it's obvious. It's obvious. This is, this is the way it's going, you know? And, you know, so it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a great life, really. It's been a huge um, learning curve for me, but it's, it's been a purposeful life. You know, for a lot of time, I thought it wasn't. But really, when I look back at it, the way I was uh, able to live on the outside of society and express the art of my life as a musician and, and find a way through the matrix that way and have all the time I had for research by doing that, and which provided me all the tools that I need to do what I'm doing now, it, it's, been a very, uh, it's been a very fateful life. It's been a very, very destined life, I think. I think I'm, I'm walking the path exactly that I'm supposed to be walking. Since we're talking about music, I think it's important to leverage this moment to discuss, I want to see what, what's your take on this. You probably heard about how in the late 1980s, you know, some people say this is just uh, fiction, but I really, really think this is true. In the late 1980s, a bunch of the the big music producers in, in Hollywood were, we got together in, in Beverly Hills, some mansion, and some people from the new penitentiary industrial complex came along and said to them, hey, by the way, we need your assistance. We uh, Jails are now becoming publicly traded corporations. They're going to be privatized. And we need your help in, you know, in order to fill them. So we need you to start putting music out there that's more, you know, that, that, that uh, glamorizes crime and drugs and so on. And you remember when rap came out, it was kind of a, you know, it was not as hardcore as it became in the late 80s. Do you when believe? Rap came out, yeah, when rap came out, it was a social statement. Yes. It was, people, it was people talking about their consciousness, and it became this, this gangster. Uh, gangster rap. 
Yeah, and it absolutely infiltrated. All these things are infiltrated. The music industry is a huge influence on on people's uh, minds and huge influence on the on the social consciousness and the state of our social condition in our societies. Absolutely, all of these things have been co opted. And even now, you've got the you know the the, the black people, they're wearing these huge gold chains and padlocks and things. You know, they're, they're glorifying their slavery traditions. You know what I'm saying? you got all these guys. What, what, what's his Snoop Dogg wearing these big chains around his neck and, and with padlocks on them and stuff, you know? This is, this is glorifying. Are you there, Max? You see, when we start talking about uh, sensitive subjects, I expect uh, us to lose... Lost. Okay, can you hear me, Max? I can hear you, but your sound is completely low. How about now? Now. That that good? That's good. Okay. You know, th it. this is a kind of subject that's very, very difficult to discuss because a lot of people don't want to understand it. When you look at a, a chart from the 80s to the 90s and you see the 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 number of 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 uh, inmates in the United States. We have more inmates per capita in the United States than any other country in the world, including China. And then I spoke with uh, Peter Christ. He was a, not, not Peter Christ from KISS, but Peter Christ, a former police captain uh, for you know, over 30 years. And he's now uh, one of the, the, the members of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, LEAP. And he gave us all the compelling reasons why prohibition does not work. So when you have this prohibition plus the prison industrial complex together, you know exactly where we're going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But it's been really interesting to see the way it's been done, the way the music industry has been so involved in this as well, you know, and promoting this all of this stuff. It is it is a huge influence on on society. And um like I said, the way they they they're embracing slavery by, by all these chains they're putting on black people and stuff now, you know, it's, it's, and it's all about money, you know, money. And, and when you've got money, you buy chains, you know, it's bizarre, isn't it? It really is. When you have money, you buy chains and you get in, going in debt and look at, uh, Mike Tyson, how many millions of dollars did he win? And now he doesn't have a penny to, two pennies yeah. to rub. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? So manufacture reality. What is the real purpose of, the, of our manufactured reality? Of, of course, this is all the cultural editors perpetrating this crime against humanity. Well, it's all distraction, Mel. It's to, to you know, lead us into this slavery system is what it's about, slavery depopulation. That's what it's about. I mean, depopulation takes many forms, and a lot of it is, is uh, social conditioning, the, the impoverishment of people. This is depopulation. You know, all of these things that are making people homeless, you know, enslaving people to an economic model. This is all about depopulation, the whole thing, discarding humanity more and more along the way. That's where we're going. That's what the whole thing's been about. And a lot of the whole social systems that we've got are just designed to distract you from the obvious that's going on around you. You know, we keep you involved in wars and TV shows and competing with the neighbors and ISIS and Ebola and anything they can to distract you. And so that you just don't notice that you're being discarded, your children being thrown away, you know, you're being led off to wars to kill other people's children in other countries and all of this sort of stuff. It's all about depopulation, Mel, the whole thing, limiting the size of uh, the uh, the useless eaters on the planet. They only need enough people to run the infrastructure. They don't need anybody else. So what they've got to do is is find people that are willing to fight the wars and are willing to support the system and keep those guys and just exterminate everybody else. And that's what they're in the process of doing. 
offline we're discussing a little bit. I'm not going to name any names yet, but transhumanism. You know, we have all this technology at our disposal. We can do with a phone now what the Apollo mission couldn't even do with a Casio watch. So we're embedding that into our children, this technology. You take a phone away from a child these days, and it's almost like if you took crack away from them. Do you see in the future where technology will be literally embedded into somebody's brain, and that will be the new human 2.0? Well, that's what they would want to do. That's what they're trying to do. I, I don't know whether they will. I mean, I'm sure there will be some people that will embrace that type of, uh, that type of reality, but there will be a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of people who understand we have inner technology that is far, far superior to anything they can offer us digitally. And there are uh, a certain amount of people who, um, like, like Ray Kurzweil, there are people who want to push this transhumanist agenda. There are people who, who are now working actively to create robots that um, exceed us in intelligence, robots that are actually more intelligent than human beings. And I think this would be a good idea. There are other people who think this would actually be a very, very terrible idea and would lead to very, very bad things. And I'm one of them. And I, I don't think um, we'll go there. I mean, I think they will try, but I think the human race may even split. I mean, there, there may be a certain section that goes there. There may be a, a certain section that doesn't. But I think that there, there's going to be something really, really major happen soon. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like an aerial delivery of, of some massive virus now they've got everybody prepared for Ebola then all you've got to do is have the, have the leaders go to some of their underground braces and, and work on their super intelligent robots and uh, come out when uh, when everybody's decomposed you know so they've got the means to do this and they're preparing the world for this sort of thing so I mean the transhumanist agenda is going ahead but um, how far it goes I don't really know I don't, I don't know whether most of the world will embrace it I think they'll have to depopulate a lot of the world to get people to embrace this. And of course, that that's the plan. That's what they're doing now. A few years ago, there was a TV show here in the United States called The Event. There was a black president, a plane, a, a commercial airliner being used as a weapon. It doesn't crash, but it disappears and it appears somewhere else, almost like the Malaysian uh, airliner. Another part of the plot was to create a pandemic in order to vaccinate the population. But the vaccine included a few bonuses to put into the, the, the people. It's almost as if they're putting the script. The, the, the season was canceled after the first one. I don't know why, but it's almost as if they were planting this, you know, predictive programming. Do you see predictive programming in Hollywood and TV? Oh, absolutely. All the time. All the time. I mean, uh, this wouldn't surprise me at all if that, that's what they're going to do with the Ebola um, virus. I'll just use it to be able to launch this global vaccine. Everyone will think Ebola is real. I'll make the vaccine mandatory, and that's it. And you've already got people in so much fear of it. People are all locked down in their own countries. They're scared to travel. They're this, they're that, you know. So you can already see where they're heading with all of this. It's just whether people are going to buy into it. But, yeah, the predictive programming is incredible. I mean, the movies that are coming out lately, it's incredible. And all the TV shows, there's a lot of it in there. A lot of it is just designed to get people to accept where we're going and a lot of it, I mean, I think we create reality as well. If you can put enough of this into people's minds and get them thinking about it enough, well, we can go down that, that path as well, you know. That's the thing about us, you know. We can create whatever reality we want. We've created this whole mess that we're in now, and we can create any type of reality we want. You know, we've got so much potential to create an incredible world. That's why I do what I do. I mean, I, I don't do what I do because 
Um, I want to save the world. I want to save humankind. I mean, I think all this is a big experiment anyway. I think it's just an experiment in consciousness. It's what we do with it. It's what we do with the information. I mean, I'm nearly 60. I won't be here forever. I don't have any real stake in the outcome of what happens to humanity. But I can see the potential that we have for something far, far better than the direction that we're going. And I wish to encourage that. Because I can see that potential, I think then there's a reason for me to be here. There's a reason for me to do what I do because I can help people uh, see this potential that we actually have. And, and that's why I do what I do, because we have that potential. And I think that uh, we'll create any reality we want. I don't think they will lock us down. No matter how hard they try, no matter how far they take it, eventually humankind is going to stand up and embrace its, its own power. I think that's our ultimate destiny, and that's where we're going. You know, we manifest the thoughts that we entertain, but it's like uh, cancer, as an example. So much hopelessness and despair, when in fact uh, cancer is nothing but toxicity and lack of nutrition. And if you even tell somebody that, especially in the medical industry, they laugh at you. But the programming is so embedded into the population. Now that I've had the privilege of interviewing people who have found the cure for cancer. And cancer is not a disease, it's just a symptom of our behavior, our toxicity, our exposure to, to chemicals. And you tell that to people and they still want to go ahead with chemo, radiation, and, and surgery. I don't mean to get technical or medical here, but do you see this happening with other aspects, aspects of life? There's answers and hope, but people prefer to just live under a rock and not listen. Very often they do, you know, because you're challenging their reality. You know, when you bring people this information, you're challenging everything that they thought was real. That's that's why it's so difficult to wake a lot of people up. You know, when you really, you know, the rabbit hole goes so deep, as you know. I mean, you, you start to see that there's little bits of corruption on the surface, like with with your journey, perhaps. You know, when nine eleven, you see, hang on, there's something seriously wrong here. And then you start going down the rabbit hole, and you go, oh my god. The whole world and everything about it is completely different to what I thought. And this is what you're presenting to people. This is a huge, huge challenge to them because you're getting people who are 30, 40, 50 years old. They've gone through their life. They've worked hard to get what they've got and they thought that it meant something. And you come along and say, well, hang on a minute. You've actually been looking at the world from a different perspective and everything you've done has been a complete and utter waste of time because the world is actually like this. And this freaks the hell out of them. It's a huge paradigm shift for them. It's an absolute challenge to everything they thought was real. You've challenged their whole life up to that point. You're telling them that everything that they've done up to that point has been completely meaningless. This is hugely confrontational to people. And so what you've got to do is you just, you know, respect people, respect yourself, be nice to people, lead by example in what you do, and present them with information which will cause them to shift their perspective themselves and discover the truth for themselves because real truth must be realized. It can't be told. No one will ever listen to the truth. Uh, it, it freaks them out too much. They have to discover it for themselves. And when they discover it, it's like you, when you looked at 9-11 and you went down the rabbit hole, there was a moment when the light bulb went off and you realized the reality for yourself. And that was what was so profound about it was your own realization. So that's what we have to do is we have to provide a pathway towards self-discovery and self-realization for people so they can discover the truth for themselves. Otherwise, you're confronting their reality. It's a huge challenge to them and they will shut down and they will never, ever open that doorway again. And so you've got to be very, very careful how you go about it when you're waking people up. You have to point at the door and it's their choice to open that door and go through it if they want. But, you know, it's like uh, I thought I could pay my mortgage and own my home. But property taxes never stop, so try 
to stop paying your property taxes. So we never own our homes. Well, yeah, you don't. And, and you can't own the earth anyway. It's, it's like I, I often say, um, you know, if, if you've spent all this money on a home and, and you live there and, and you've got to go back to it all the time, it keeps coming. You can't go and live your life and just follow synchronicity. You've got to keep coming back to this place because it owns you. You know, you're too scared to go That's out and right. leave your yeah, house because you're scared someone's going to come and steal it all. It owns you. You don't own the house. It's going to be there after you die. You're only here for a short while. You know, you don't own anything. You know, you can't own the earth. You're just using stuff for a while, sharing space with other people, sharing space with other things, but you don't own them. You know, you don't own anything. You don't even own your body. It's just on loan, you know, so that's the way I look at things. I think ownership is a fraud. The concept of ownership is what's created a lot of the problems that we have. I mean, there's stuff that I share space with, but if I really love something, Really, really, if I have some item that I really, really love, I usually give it away. I give it away to someone because it's something that I love and I'm not going to give them something that I don't love. And if I love this so much and it's brought so much joy to my life, well, maybe it will do the same for them. And I can't own it anyway. It's just an object. I'm only here for a little while. I'm a temporary, temporary piece of consciousness in this reality, just here for the blink of an eye. I can't own anything. And I, I give so much of my stuff away. My ex-wife used to get so annoyed at me. Why do you give all your stuff away all the time? I say, because I love it. And she couldn't understand it. You know? But I want to bring joy to people. I, I love this and it brought me so much joy. I want to bring some of that joy to this person. And she couldn't understand it, why I would give away all my possessions all the time. But that's just the way I've always been through my life. You know, ownership is such a fraud, Mel. It really is. And it locks people down to certain places on the earth where they're not able to leave. And so that little piece of uh, perceived ownership actually owns them. That is true. That is true. And uh, going around the world again, is there a single government? I was thinking the other day, is there a single government in this world that has not gone rogue? You know, take, for example, Libya. Everybody demonized Muammar Gaddafi. And I even had, that's why I say that I love when you come on, because I know that we are more or less on the same you know, wavelength, but we, I have had people who started arguing with me that he was a dictator, that he was responsible for the, the Lockerbie bombing. And when you start giving them facts, they don't like when you shatter the paradigms and you don't, they don't like it that I tell them, no, they had the best literacy rate in all of Africa and all the good things that Gaddafi did. They still don't get it. Is yeah, there any... There's no evidence that he was responsible for the Lockerbie bombing either. I mean... No. Know. Actually, there's evidence to the contrary provided to me by Congressman Jim Trafficant, the one I was mentioning to you offline. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, you know, people just believe what the media tells them. I mean, Gaddafi, you know, Libya was a, was a shining example of what, what could be achieved by, by countries in Africa. And we went in and destroyed that, every single piece of it that we could. And Libya is now a failed state. So, you know, people just have to really, really look at this. Um, you're not fed the truth by any of these people. Never, ever are we fed the truth by the media. And, and yeah, you know, we, we have these opinions of people, but they're not our own. You know, it's, it's the opinion that the media has given us. And we really need to step back and look at things, you know. Look, We're not parents. I think, I think may, maybe the, the Icelandic government, I mean, they, they um, threw yeah. the bankers out. All right. That's about the only one that I would possibly have any hope in at the moment. You know, I, I, when I was going across Europe, I didn't see uh, any, any honesty from any governments across Europe. You certainly don't see it in England. You certainly don't see it in America. You certainly don't see it here in Australia. 
So, you know, you go to third world countries, Peru, I mean, all these governments are completely uh, corporatized. They're all, they've all sold out to corporations. Um, yeah, I think that all of our governments are rogue. I don't, I don't think it's just Israel. I think all of our governments are rogue. But I think any government that supports Israel is a rogue government because Israel is a rogue state. Israel is, is responsible for so much um, uh, mayhem on the planet at the moment, all of the conflicts in the Middle East, all of this mess, 9-11, the whole lot. This is all Israel. So any government that supports that seriously needs uh, looking at. Uh, if you're in a country where your government is supporting Israel, well, Israel is just carrying out a war crime, which is Gaza Strip. Gaza Strip itself is a war crime. Collective punishment is a war crime. The bombing of churches is a war crime. Bombing of mosques is a war crime. Bombing of ambulances, hospitals, schools, children, the use of flash air bombs, dime ammunition, white phosphorus, all of these things are war crimes. If your government is supporting this country, then your government is in the process of carrying out war crimes and you have an obligation to withhold your taxes from that government because your taxes are carrying out war crimes. You have a, a, an obligation, you have a, a duty. It's actually against the law for you to pay taxes to a government which is supporting war crimes. So we need to pay attention to this. We need to do something about it. That's something we can do. We can hold back and say, look, do you support Israel? Well, Israel is engaged in a war crime. If you argue that, then I give you Gaza Strip. This is a war crime. The whole thing, everything about Gaza Strip is a war crime. So this is something we can use to withhold taxes from our governments, and we should all do this. We should all stand up and, and make noise about this. Unfortunately, many people don't because they're programmed into believing Israel are the good guys. That's the problem. So again, it, it's down to the media. Media complicity is, is a huge problem in this planet. Yeah, the media are as guilty as war crimes as our governments are. So we, we've got to find some mechanism with which to address this. But if we don't name it for what it is, then it's never going to be addressed. So you've got to be prepared to stand up and do this and name this and say and tell your government, why are you carrying out war crimes? Why are you supporting the war crime, which is Gaza Strip? You know, And they've got nowhere to back down from that. They've got nowhere to go from that. So I mean, they- take a copy of the Geneva Convention with you. And say it to them. He pointed out all, right. all the crimes it's carrying out. You know, and just because we haven't seen it in the news lately, doesn't mean that it's still not happening. Do you think that the Ebola "quote unquote" crisis is a distraction to keep us looking away from, say, Gaza and other things? To keep us looking away from the whole situation in the Middle right. East. I mean, all of this came out as soon as uh, Israel started to implode from what it was doing in Gaza. Suddenly we had Ebola, suddenly we had ISIS. We got all of this stuff happen because of the amount of backlash Israel was getting from what it was doing in Gaza. And now we've got uh, al-Sisi sort of doing Israel's job for them. I would suggest that the attack that just happened in Sinai was very likely Israel as well. I mean, you've got to look at it. Who benefits from attacking the Sinai? Who benefits from closing down that checkpoint? Certainly not Gaza, certainly not Hamas, certainly not any Arabs. The only people who have an agenda to keep Gaza locked off is Israel. So that's where the uh, that's where the, the the attack came from, for sure. You know, when I think of uh, ISIS, it's a cancer that's metat- metastasizing around that area of the world. I think that cancer needs a host or a virus or a bacteria. They need a host in order in order to survive. Now, ISIS has weaponry, they have a lot of money, they have cars, they travel around, they get trained. Who provides that to them? Can well, we, yeah, I mean, we, with the intelligence apparatus that we have, and now if I transfer more than, say, a few thousand dollars to another country, all of a sudden I get the, you know, the government knocking on my door. Are you going to tell me that they don't have the ability to pinpoint where that's coming from? 
Exactly. If you wanted to shut down ISIS, shut down its finances straight away. Exactly. <laughs> they don't do any of that. You know, they don't do the obvious things. Of course they don't, because it's a, it's a Western-funded thing. The whole ISIS is a, is a Western-funded thing. I mean, Al Qaeda ran out of steam, you know. But I mean, it's the same people. It's the same thing, you know. I mean, Al Qaeda, you'll you'll see they've even got a website now. They've got they're getting they got uh, they're they're on the stock market or something as well. I mean, soon, soon we'll have Al Qaeda. We'll have a desk at the UN, you know. Like, <laughs> It's it's incredible the way things go, you know, but it's, it's all the one organization. It's all Western funded. It's all designed to undermine the Middle East and to vilify the Muslim world. So it's obviously not Muslims doing it. It's someone who hates Muslims. And that would indicate that it's Israel, it's Mossad, it's CIA, it's NSA, it's Blackwater, Z, Eric Prince, all of these crew. That's who ISIS is. It's not uh, Islamists at all. They're just using that name to whip up this uh, hatred of Islam. What about the... PG-13 videos of the latest beheadings. Do you buy them? Oh, look, they're all fiction, brother. I mean, that first one that came out, you know, no blood. I mean, what was this? It looked like it was in front of a blue screen. And then when, when he saw the picture of the, the body with the head on top, the different knife to what he had in his yeah. hand. Like, How many there. times do you have to slice before blood comes out? Uh, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a jugular vein once, once, and it shoots like a fountain. Right, he hacked into this guy's neck, and there was no blood. Okay, I mean, and this is a jugular vein. This is a lot of blood. This is this is a lot of blood, like a fountain of blood, you know. And you didn't see any. I mean, it looked like it was done in front of a blue screen. It really did. It didn't look real at all. And I don't think any of them are. I think the whole lot is MI five, MI six. I think it's all staged. I don't think that it, it's uh, it's been done to like you know so they can create this whole um, domestic terrorist threat and bring in new terror laws in England and all the stuff that they're doing. And and again, you've got these terrible Islamic militants that are so out to to kill Israel that they're cutting off the heads of American and British journalists. Why aren't they attacking Israelis? You know, are you there, Mel? Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. Uh, and the same thing's happening in Canada. I think Canada is next. And even though it's a puppet of Great Britain and the USA, I'm sorry to say to my brothers and, and sisters up north, you know how much I love you all, but let's call a spade a spade. The latest quote-unquote terrorist attack, someone said to me, I wonder if our prime minister will start talking about tougher laws. And I told him, give him a few days. Actually, it was a few hours after. And uh, he said, the quote, the attacks will lead us to strengthen our resolve and redouble our efforts to keep the country safe and work with Canada's allies to fight terrorism, unquote. And I'm sorry you lost of your, you know, your one of your sons during the, the event, whether it was a genuine event or contrived by the same players. So it begins for Canada, Max. Yeah, well, and, and Australia as well. I mean, our Prime Minister's really hot on the heels of all this. He's really trying to jump in there. He really wants to get uh, Australia involved in the war, really wants to set us up as a terrorist threat, you know. So he's doing all he can. Keeps telling us, oh, yes, it's a shame that the, the threat that we're both facing now. And he's, he's taking the gloves off and trying to pick a fight with Putin. It's incredible. I mean, Putin's a statesman. Tony Abbott's a pimple. You know, it, it's it's ridiculous. Tony Abbott is about as threatening as as a wart on the on the butt of a dog. You know, so I mean, his his rhetoric towards Putin is absolutely incredible. I mean, unfortunately, the man's an imbecile. Tony Abbott is an utter imbecile. I mean, he redefines the word stupid. So you've you've got a, <laughs> this as a national embarrassment. 
Um, I wish he'd, uh, he'd, he'd be removed from power. He, he's done an incredible amount of damage to this country. But he's doing all that he can to make sure that we're involved in this war on terror. I think he would love to see an explosion in Australia. He'd love to see some Australians killed or blown up. He's been reveling in the fact that a bunch of Australians died in the uh, M, in, uh, M, M17 flight over Ukraine. Right. And there's no evidence that that was carried out by Russia. There was actually... Um, all the reports of witnesses on the ground say that the plane was shot by a missile from the sky. It was strafed with um, machine gun fire, and then a plane flew off. So it's it's probably Israel again. I mean, it would suit Israel to do that. It was perfect timing because of what it was doing in Gaza. And I know, I mean, I'm just people think, oh, this guy's blaming Israel for everything, but I don't know. You look at the global situation and you see who benefits from this. The only person I can find that would benefit from that would be the United States or Israel. So that's who I think shot it down. I don't think it was Putin at all. And I don't think it was done by a ground to a, a surface wear missile. I think it was done by another plane. Well, look at what, uh, uh, what's her name? Yulia Timoshenko said in, in, in uh, Ukraine. She said, we need to go and nuke everybody in Russia or, or, or the people, uh, the uh, rebels and uh, people in Russia. And yeah, guess well, what her ties are? Ties are to, once again, Israel. Mm, funny that, isn't it? Funny that. It always goes back. There's always saying people say, oh, you're just anti-Semitic. Well, no, I'm just looking at the people involved and, hey, they just all seem to have ties to Israel. What do you What do you say, you know? I'm trying to find exactly the words that she used. Uh, basically, she wanted to nuke them. Um, now, back to ISIS for a moment. You know, first, we're supporting them in Syria. We even have a photo up with uh, our good old John McCain. All of a sudden, things change. Now we're bombing them in Iraq, and we're bombing them in Syria. Do you think we're bombing them in Syria because the end game there is to remove Bashar al-Assad? Well, removing Bashar al-Assad is part of it. I mean, it's it's about destabilizing the Arab world. It's about sort of balkanizing the the Arab world. They want to um, divide Syria up into two or three factions. They want to do that same with Iraq. They do the same with Libya. They want everything balkanized because. Once you've you've gone in there and you've you've divided the country, you've weakened the country. That's what it's all about. Syria is a, a an ally to Iran, so they're trying to destroy all of the uh, the Arab world around Iran, so they can go into Iran. And Iran's a beautiful country. Iran's you know got a large Christian population, large Jewish population as well. They're quite happy to be there. They That's right. Go to Israel. That's right. You know so. Uh, and it's, it hasn't had a war with anyone. It hasn't attacked anyone in 270 years. The only, the only war that it's had was with Iraq, which we started. So, um, and we funded know, both of them. Nation. Yeah, Iran's a peaceful nation, always has been. That's what it's about. It's about destabilizing the area. I mean, Assad, it wouldn't matter who was in place. It wouldn't matter. They'd be vilifying him as, as saying he was this and that. I mean, and Assad's done some bad things. Of course he has. He's a politician. All politicians do bad things. That's just a prerequisite of being a politician. But um, it, it doesn't matter who it is. It's just about destabilizing the region. And as you can see, they're, they're going around doing it everywhere. They're probably going to Jordan uh, after they've done Syria. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll go into it. They're doing it everywhere. I mean, Jordan's getting a lot of flack at the moment. So, you know, you, they'll, they'll go all over the place until they've destabilized the entire Arab world. And um, then they'll just. Isn't this what happened whole... hundreds of years ago? Isn't this what happened hundreds of years ago in Africa? There was peace and harmony in Africa. Tribes were divided by, by rivers. All of a sudden, the Europeans came along and they started conquering. And of course, all the tribal warfare started happening. Then we have Saddam, and I'm, he was not a saint. I get that, but 
he kept the tribes in harmony. The, the Kurds, the Shias, and the Sunnis. And boom, what happens now? Tribal warfare everywhere. The same thing will happen in Syria. You have the, the yeah. Alawites, the, the Sunnis, and the Shias once again. Yeah, it'll happen all over the place. That's, that's the main plan. Destabilize the, the region so it's, it's not a viable force. So they don't want any strong Arab nation. That's the thing. The West doesn't want any Arab nation to rise as a strong power in the East. That's what Iran is at the moment. Iran is a strong nation with a, with a, uh, a solid voice that could be used to unite the Arab world. They don't want any, any strong Arab nations at all to rise. Nothing that could be a threat to the, uh, the control of the United States or the West has over the region. And the only nations that are sort of being left alone are nations like Saudi Arabia, which is a brutal dictatorship, brutally totalitarian regime. I mean, the very day that the, uh, the ISIS beheading came out, um, there was 17 people beheaded in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. That's right. That one, guy, one guy for suspected witchcraft. That's very progressive, isn't it? You know, so um, this is the type of these are these are our allies. You know, it's one of the most brutal dictatorships, most horribly oppressive to women in, in the world in the history of the world, and we support them. You know, but wait a second. We've got, we, we, we got a revolving door to get into the United States. You know, but wait a second, Max. Women have the right to vote there. They just can't drive to the voting booth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Women can drive in Gaza. You know, that's right. So. You know, I mean, there's a large Christian population in Gaza as well. You know, so you know we're not we're not told anything, but it's about it's about destabilizing the whole region. That's what it's all about, and they'll just keep going until they destabilize the entire Arab world because you know divide and conquer. That's what it's all about. Well, don't forget that uh, there's some headlines here. ISIS militants claim the U.S. accidentally airdropped them free weapons. Yeah, accidentally, of course. I mean, what we've been doing is dropping weapons to ISIS in Syria, and they've been funneling them straight over the border to ISIS in Iraq anyway, and then we're bombing them in Iraq. And um, the, the whole ISIS thing's been cooked up because we wouldn't let them go in and bomb Syria. You know, we, we, it was a huge public outcry about that back in 2013 when they wanted to go in there. The, the global public opinion stopped that war happening. But now this whole ISIS threat, it's been escalated and escalated and ramped up by the media and hyped up so much that they're just going in and airstriking anyway. You know, and look, you know, and, and Obama's saying, oh, it, it won't be an act of war. It's a limited strike, no boots on the ground. You're kind of like what the, uh, the Japanese did in Pearl Harbor, huh? Limited strike, no boots on the ground. Of course, it wasn't an act of war, was it, you know? And, and even that, that's, we have to revise that piece of history because I think, and well, I, get, yeah. I, I, get, uh, <laughs> I get flagged by saying this, one of our biggest traders, if not one of the biggest traders, was uh, Roosevelt. He knew. He knew that the Japanese were coming. And the reason why they were coming was because we imposed a oil embargo onto them. And exactly. by them coming here, he let it happen. Yeah, and, and they it, moved all the good moved all the good ships out of Pearl Harbor exactly. and put them around the other side of the island. Exactly. They knew exactly what was going on. Yes, the Australians say, told us. The Australians were the one who told us days or weeks before that the Japanese were coming. Exactly. And, and, but for, for Obama to have used that phrase, it's not an act of war, it's a limited strike, no boots on the ground, it immediately made me think of Pearl Harbor. You know, and yet that was this big outrage and brought America into World War II, and yet they're prepared to go and do that to another country and say it's not an act of war. That shows an incredible, incredible double standard there, Mel. Now, why do you think that people, even in 2014, still get their information 
on the six o'clock news. And when they listen to people like you and I or other great hosts out there, they basically roll their eyes. Well, because they, they just don't believe that the media would lie to them. They don't believe that their government would lie to them. They think that uh, it, it's not possible. No, they've got they've got safety checks in place. They, they get in trouble if they lie. They have to tell you the truth. There's all sorts of uh, media rules and stuff, you know. I don't understand. These people wrote the rules. They wrote the rules to protect themselves, not to afford you remedy, not to afford you any type of truth or any type of life, but to protect themselves. That's what the system's for. You know, that's what... Um, all this crime is created for to protect to protect the system. You know, how to create crime, how to create a police state, all you got to do is create lots of laws. You know, every law you create, you create a new crime. If you want to create a police state, all you got to do is make the crime figures look really high. So how do you do that? Well, you make it illegal to do everything. Make it illegal to walk your dog on the beach, to stand on the grass, to do this, to park here, to do this, to do that. All these little everyday activities that we all do normally, illegal to go fishing here, illegal to do this, illegal to do that. And suddenly they look at the books and go, oh, my God, look at the crime figures. And we're looking out going, well, I'm not seeing a lot of crime everywhere. But, hey, according to these figures, the crime figures are astronomical. It's because all these new laws have been created and all these everyday activities are now classed as crimes. They go, oh, my God, look at the crime figures. We need more police. We need more laws. Every law you create, you create a new crime. Then you need more police. So suddenly you've got a police state that's been built around you and nobody did anything. All the, all the government did was create more and more laws because every time they create a law, they create a crime. That's the way it works, and that's the situation we've got in. That's how come we've got this police state being built around us. Well, we didn't really do anything to deserve it. We didn't. The crime rates didn't really go up, you know. And most of the crimes in our uh, society are because of people are in a state of shortage anyway, which is a direct result of the money system. So the whole thing has been contrived, Mel. And I bring this up because the powers that want to be, they want to create an imagined reality via the government, media, dogma, etc. So they create this psychology of belief, and to question it, as I was saying before, it used to be bad, but now you're labeled a terrorist. They have absolutely no respect for the people, Max. Why do people keep following the script every few years, expecting that something will change? Why should we care about new puppets if the puppeteers are always the same? That's the thing. You know, this is why I don't vote. It's why I don't participate in the political process at all. I think it's completely flawed. I think that these these people are just puppets, you know. But unfortunately, people are just programmed into believing what the media tells them, and they don't have time to think about it objectively. They're too busy running on the treadmill. You know, they have to pay to be alive. They've got to try to keep their head above water. They keep making the debts a little bit higher, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So you've got to run a little bit faster all the time. Whenever people start to wake up, they have some new scare, Ebola or whatever, you know, and put the prices up a little bit more. People keep running. They've never really got time to stop and look around. And they've got all of these different social activities they've got to indulge themselves in when they do stop. You know, the kids want to go to tennis and the kids want to go to this and this and that. And you've got to do this. The, the wife's got to go to the country club. You've know, got to have all these different social standards that we meet so that we appear as you know, viable people in the eyes of our peers because we judge ourselves by these parameters. So we just don't have time to look around. And even if what you're saying is true, I don't want to know because I've found this little niche that works for me and I'm quite happy on my path. Leave me alone. I don't want to know about it. I can get through it if I just stay here. You know, and that's, that's the mentality that people have, unfortunately. You know, programming. I mean, they're, they're trained to, to think this way. You can't judge them poorly because of it. It's unfortunately the programs that they're running. And people have found a way through the system whereby they can survive and it works for them and they don't want you to come along and rock the boat. You know? Will we ever see a time in our life, that, Max, when direct 
let's call it open source democracy, will replace our existing system. In other words, you and I, every person listening to us will have a say on what matters to us as opposed to having someone who gets elected and immediately becomes the best politician that money can buy. In other words, you and I have a, a computer and we can vote for every single yeah, piece think, of legislation. I think that there will be a time when we come to something like direct democracy. I think it, it will, it's inevitable. You know, it, it will get to that. I think it, we've got a long way to go to get there. Um, this system kind of has to implode in many ways, but I think it is. I think it's in the process of imploding now. I mean, the more they do, Mel, the more people wake up. I mean, this whole situation at the moment, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a freak show. You look at the world with, with ISIS and Ebola and all of the stuff that's going on, the imploding of, of the EU and these sanctions against Russia. and the, it's, it's insane. It's absolutely incredible. And it's waking more and more people up. I, I don't think they have any hope of, um, of locking us down. I think that we will get to a state where the people have had enough and whatever it turns into, it, it will it will turn into something better eventually. I, I think the human race will get through this. If there's a statesman out there that I think has common sense right now, is Putin. And I get attacked by saying that all the time. But I've researched this a lot. I've looked into the economy of Russia. I've looked into what he's done for the country. And, you know, maybe he's not 100% perfect. But some of the things he's done, he's stood up for his country. And he has taken Russia back from the ashes, don't you think? Oh, yeah, he has. I mean, I think he's probably one of the best statesmen on the planet at the moment. And again, I'm like, I don't trust him. He's a politician, you know. So, you know, he's definitely not the good guy, but he's the best of what we've got at the moment. At least he's making a stand. At least he's talking sense, you know, and, and not many other uh, politicians are. Certainly no one in the West is. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing, really. I mean, who would have thought we'd get to a situation where Putin was the good guy? You know, it, it's, it's such a far cry from where we were 10 years ago. And I think if it wasn't for him, we would have attacked Iran already and Syria too. Yeah, probably, very likely. Uh, although there, there has been a lot of uh, public outcry against it. But yeah, very likely we would have. I mean, they're really pushing for it. You know, Israel is, is desperate for, for World War Three. Israel is desperate to create as much conflict as it can. And uh, so that, that's the wild card. But people are waking up to what Israel is now. Israel is imploding. It's being sacrificed. It's been done on purpose, I think. Uh, they've realized that uh, Netanyahu overstepped his mark with what he just did in Gaza, and he was told to stop that. I mean, there's no way he just decided to stop that ground assault. He was told from higher up that it's it's time to pull back because you, you're creating a lot of mess. And that whole conflict into Gaza, that created millions upon millions of new Palestinian activists out of people who'd never even heard of Gaza Strip before. So they really shot themselves in the foot with that. And it's caused a lot of people to really pay attention to what's going on around the world, which is why they've escalated things so much. And we're getting it from so many angles now, you know, with Ukraine, with Ebola, with the, the, the aircraft being shot down, with what uh, Sisi is doing in Sinai, you know, Syria. There, there's so much going on now. All the laws coming in in our countries, they're doing everything they can to keep us distracted and to, and to lock us down and to prevent us from paying attention. But I don't think it's working. I don't think it's working. The more they do, the more people are just looking around and going, well, what's going on here? This is a circus. This is a complete circus. None of this needs to be happening, you know? And let me and, emphasize, uh, let me emphasize that I, I know many, many Jewish people, and even people in Israel, people with a conscience. So when I talk about Israel, I'm not sending a blanket statement out there because I have very, very good Jewish friends and even some of my family members, but they have a conscience. They can speak and say, this is wrong. 
When is it going to stop? The problem is that when they talk, then they're criticized by, you know, uh, Abe Foxman and and the rest of his crew in the ADL. Yeah, by the right wingers. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that that's why I, I'm so against people um, attacking the Jews. And with people may say that's what I've been doing on the show today, but I haven't. I've been attacking the government of Israel. And these people are fake Jews. These guys are Khazars anyway. And the Jewish people are the ones who suffer because of it. But the only people who are going to change the government of Israel is, is the people of Israel. So it's no good attacking and vilifying these people. You've got to understand how programmed they are. They're programmed into the belief system that they've got. And you're not going to um, save anything by attacking these people. I don't think the problem is the Jews at all. I think the problem is the Khazars that are masquerading as Jews and the programming that they've imposed upon the people of Israel. That's the problem. You know, and, and people are programmed. You can't judge people for what they do when they're programmed. And most of our societies are programmed too. So it becomes very, very difficult to judge these people. You've got to lead by example in what you do. Realize that what we're facing here is, is mind control to a huge level right across the planet in all of our societies and all of our cultures. And you've got to try to open doorways for people to self-discovery and lead by example in what you do. That's the most important thing we can do. And I know there's no silver bullet. Uh, most people are not willing to do the hard work. But how many lies are we prepared to accept before we say enough is enough, Mike's? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, they crossed my line in the sand long ago, Mel. So uh, I, I'm not prepared to take any more. And I'm quite happy to debate any politician or, or mainstream reporter on any of the things that I talk about on these shows. And I'm not prepared to back down anymore. I'm not prepared to um, take a back seat anymore. I won't allow the world to be destroyed around me. I won't allow my tax money to, to, to pay for the, the bullets that, that shoot my brothers and sisters in the Middle East. I won't allow my government to support these things. If they're going to, then they're not getting the support that, you know, I'm not going to support them in their actions. I won't pay them taxes. I won't have anything to do with them. And it's about time people stood up to, to make a difference, you know. Um, all you got to do is be truthful, be in integrity. You know, if you stand in integrity and you speak your truth, there's, there's very little weapons they can use against you. And, and don't, um, don't, don't view yourself as being unimportant. Don't view yourself as being powerless. You, you've got to understand the power that you have. If you stand in truth and integrity, there is nothing that is more powerful than that. And I do what I do because I love the human race. I don't do it out of hate for the perpetrators. I don't hate them. I don't hate um, Netanyahu. I don't hate Tony Abbott. I think they're idiots. They're psychopaths. But I don't hate them for it. I feel sorry for them more than anything. But I'm not going to back down to them. I'm not going to um, let them destroy people around me because I'm scared of them. I'm not scared of them at all. But I don't do what I do because I hate them. I do what I do because I love mankind. And I think that we have an enormous amount of potential that these people who believe they rule the world, believe they have the power to rule the world and the right to rule the world, the, the crimes that these people commit, I mean, I, I just can't, can't stand by and watch this anymore. And so I do what I do out of love for mankind because it needs to be done. And I think once people really look at reality for what it is and they look at the situation that we're in, there becomes a need to stand out. I mean, you can't have this information and, and not stand up and speak about it. If you do, you're part of the problem. You know, you, you, if you've got this information, you need to share it with people and you need to stand in integrity in all that you do. And if we do that, then we will change things, you know. You know, it's all carefully crafted theater. Ebola is a carefully crafted medical theater. ISIS is a carefully crafted fear theater. Listen to people like Max and the real actors of that theater and their agenda are revealed to you. Until we speak again, watch your conclusion, Max. 
Well, I mean, everything that I just said really, Mel, I mean, this is one of the most important times that we've ever faced on our planet. It's a time where we could go any direction. And it's up to the people out there to discover themselves and to stand in their truth and to stand in their integrity and stand up and be counted and make a difference. And don't be afraid to call a spade a spade. Don't be prepared. Don't be afraid to, to offer your truth to people. And be prepared to stand in your truth. That's what we need to do. And everybody can do it. Everybody out there listening to this can make a difference. If you just stand in your truth and integrity and really, really know yourself. Like I went through earlier about what you are, the perfection of yourself. When you truly know that, then you become invincible. You really do. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can interfere with your, your level of power, your level of energy. You become unstoppable. You become an unstoppable force just by understanding your own perfection. And we all have the ability to do this. And don't ever believe you're just a little person because you're not. You know, all the great deeds that happened all throughout history were all done by one idea that one little person had. So don't think that you're not capable of doing that because you all are. A raindrop becomes a huge snowball. Don't forget that and the biggest conspiracy of all is the secret to your own potential. Max Egan, brother in truth, once again, thank you so much for coming over to uh, your Veritas family. Pleasure to come on, Mel. Always a pleasure to speak to you, brother. Any plans, any presentations that you're, you'd like to discuss before you leave? Well, look, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a talk in uh, the Rainbow Serpent Festival in Melbourne in January, and then I plan on launching Full Circle Project next year, and I really hope to bring that to the world next year. So that's going to be my main focus. Of course, I'd like to get into Gaza if I can at any time, but it's become almost impossible. Every step that I've taken seems to be thwarted, but I still want to get into Gaza as soon as possible. But the main focus of next year will be Full Circle Project. Max Egan from thecrowhouse.com. Thank you once again. Have a great day. You too, Mel. Thanks for the conversation, brother. Hope you feel better soon. Yeah, yeah. Getting better every day. All right. Keep me posted. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye for now. And that was Max Egan from thecrowhouse.com. Always taking us around the world with his unique perspective, which I know resonate with most of you. Max is a great human being, and I appreciate the fact that he still went ahead with this interview even though he was still suffering from meningitis. Do me a favor, and please send your best intentions to Max so we can have him back soon doing what he does best, sharing his truth. And tonight's truth was possible because of you, Veritas member. You are the ones who pave our journey every week. Thank you. And in closing, I'll leave you with this. If you don't make the time to work on creating the life you want, you're eventually going to be forced to spend a lot of time dealing with a life you don't want. Thanks for listening. I'm Mel Fabregas. Until next week, be well.